0: Church family, let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And The church said, Amen. So this morning we begin a journey through the Lord's Prayer. And did you know that Luke, in his gospel, also has a version of the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Luke chapter 11. It says in verse one, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. That's the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel. You'll notice it's a shorter version than Matthew's Gospel. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer by heart. Learning it is the easy part. Putting it to memory and saying it, that's easy. We just did it. It's an easy format. Start with where God is, finish where I am. Easy to understand, easy to learn, easy to get, easy to recite the Lord's Prayer. But the hard part is something else. The hard part is what Luke tells us, Jesus said, In chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Let me continue. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him this is god's word so the easy part is learning and reciting the lord's prayer the hard part is the question that verses 5 through 13 pull us to and it's the question is prayer worth it Is prayer worth it? How can I keep praying when God doesn't seem to answer? What's the point? I pray and I pray and God doesn't respond. I want Him to act. I want Him to change. I want Him to change my spouse. I want Him to change my children. I want Him to change my circumstances. I want Him to change my boss. I want Him to give me a new boss. I want Him to give me extra money, extra time, extra energy. I want Him to change this situation in our country right now. I want Him to change racism. I want him to change injustice. I want him to change uncivil discourse. I want him to change the violence. I want him to change and eradicate the virus. I want him to change the economy, and and I want him to give me my first college choice, and I want him to get rid of all trials and temptations and struggles and turmoil. God just changed this. Why don't you do something? And and you know when it doesn't happen, we get tired and we get frustrated, and. We can't help but ask the question, why should I keep beating my head against the wall? I don't see the point. If it doesn't go the way I want it to, why bother? And if God knows what I'm going to say before I ask, then what's the point? And if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then it's already set. How can my prayer make a difference? What's the point? You see why I say that's the hard part, church family? I really wonder, I'm curious if Jesus followed up on the Lord's prayer, the prayer he taught his disciples to pray. I wonder if he followed up what he said in verses 1 through 4 with additional teaching in verses 5 through 13 to help us, to encourage us, to urge us to, to keep praying to persevere, to not give up, to continue to seek God, to ask. Ask. Verses 5 through 13 really can be summarized by this one word, ask. Ask. According to our Savior, Jesus says that God, His heavenly Father and our heavenly Father, wants his children to ask for what we need from him in prayer. And Jesus says, if it is good, God, our Father, will give it. Ask, and if it's good, God's good for it. That's what we learn in these verses. Now, that's a pretty broad, all-encompassing offer, isn't it? And I have some questions about the big idea asking and if it's good, God's good for it so questions like, well who's this for I mean who's the beneficiary of this and then and then what exactly does the promise say all right so who to whom is Jesus speaking and then and what actually is the promise that's where we're going this morning well As to question number one, to whom is Jesus speaking? Jesus is speaking to those who are children of God. That's who it's for. Children of God. Christ followers. Disciples. So, not everyone can claim this promise. Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with the words, Our Father. So Christ qualifies this by saying, you must be a child of God. You you need to be a follower of Jesus. You need to be a believer, a Christian. Jesus was talking to his disciples when he spoke these words. If you look in Matthew's version, uh, it's in a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a message meant to teach what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what a disciple of Jesus looks like, the Sermon on the Mount. And so, so specifically, it's not simply a, a name only follower, but someone determined to love the Lord with all that they are, someone who wants more than anything else to seek the kingdom of Christ someone committed to loving God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and all of their strength. No no matter what, Jesus comes first. That's who Jesus is talking to. And, And it's really important that we get this straight. You know, a lot of us think that the primary goal of prayer is to get God to change stuff. You know, if I can simply say it the right way, in the right order, maybe with the right language, use a biblical language or, or Greek or Hebrew, or, or if I can just somehow, you know, type the password that will unlock the windows or email or online banking. If I can pray in the case sensitive letters with the appropriate combination of, of numbers and symbols, and then I can just press enter and get what I want. And we may not be so bold as to say that. But I fear that sometimes maybe that's what's in our heart. You know, if we're not hearing the answer that we want to hear in prayer, then we just need to figure out a, a technique. Maybe that's what it is. And Jesus Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, It's not an enigma. It's not like punching in the right codes. Let me tell you what prayer. Prayer isn't cracking a computer code. Prayer is panting and thirsting for God, our creator. God, our father. Isn't that what we read in Psalm 42? As the deer pants for flowing streams... Why why would the deer pant? Because the deer is thirsty. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and see the face of God? I am thirsting for the face of God. Prayer is thirsting for the face of God. So let me tell you a word that's meaningful to me when I think about prayer. Latanoprost. That's right, latanoprost. No, it's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. Um, It's a drug. It's a drug. I take latanoprost every night. One drop in this eye, one drop in that eye. Every night for my glaucoma. I take it without fail. No, I'm not self-disciplined. It has absolutely nothing to do with self-discipline. I don't think so. It has everything to do with desperation. I am desperate to see. See, if I don't take it, I go blind. It's that simple. And my need to see drives my desire. Church family, prayer is Prost. I want to see God. I want to feel God. I want to hear God. I want God. Prayer is not a crowbar to pry God's will my way. It is my thirsty soul's desire to see God's face. Do you want that? Do you really? If you're thirsty for God, if you're thirsty for your heavenly Father, then then let's read on this beautiful passage of scripture. Hmm. Jesus tells a fascinating story, a parable in verse 5 beginning with the phrase, "Which of you, which of you who has a friend, which of you will have a friend who will go to him at midnight?" Now, seven times in Luke's gospel, Jesus uses his phrase, which of you? And, and after he says, which of you, he then paints an unthinkable scenario. Which of you, desiring to build a tower, would start construction with absolutely no building plans, no cost estimate, no timeline? Who would do that? Well, well no one, of course. Or which of you, if you had a hundred sheep and lost one, would, would just forget about it? No one would do that. So, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? So there's so there's banging on your front door at midnight, at midnight, and, and you open the door, and it's it's the preacher. It's Randy. Hi, I'm in town. Remember me? <laughs> Remember when you used to come to Windsor Road Christian Church? <laughs> Remember when you said I was welcome anytime if I ever came to your town? <laughs> I'm in your town. Here I am. Can I stay the night? Oh, good. Got any food? I'm kind of hungry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, come, uh, yeah, come on in, Pastor. Yeah. It, it, I know. It's, it's midnight. You come, so you you, you you get up. you you got to step over the children because it's a one-room house. All right, first century. And uh, you, you realize, you know, in the kitchen area, you, you don't have any food. You don't have any food. You're out of food. And the store is closed. And so you go next door to your neighbor, to your friend, and you're banging on the door. Now, two, two door knockers here, huh? What do you want? Uh, Look! Look! My 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 old pastor from Windsor. uh, He rode Christian Church. He's here. He's hungry. I don't I don't have anything to give him. uh, uh, He wants to stay the night. He likes bread. I need three loaves. That that was the standard fare: one for uh, the guest, uh, one for the host, so the guest didn't eat alone, and then and then an extra one for generosity's sake. You know? No, we're in bed. The door's locked. The kids are asleep. It's midnight. It's midnight. I don't want to get up. Remember, it's a one-room house. I need food. I need help. He's not going away. He's staying the night. And you keep knocking and knocking and knocking. All right. All right. All right. Knock it off. And Jesus says, Your next door neighbor gets up, not because he wants to, and not because he's willing to help, and not because he's practicing the well-known custom of Middle Eastern hospitality, which if you didn't do it in that culture, in those peasant towns, a word would get around and that would be a major, major social insult. Why does he get up? Because if I don't get some bread for Pastor Bozo House, I'm not going to get any sleep. That's why. Verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. There's that word. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence. 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 Shameless persistence. Shameless persistence, that's what that word means. Uh, a determined refusal to take no for an answer. <laughs> Impudence. You see the point? See the point? Jesus says, keep asking God and you can nag him and beat him down and wear him out until he finally relents and says, okay, you can have your Lexus, you can have your dress, you can have your promotion, you can have your Ping G400 Max graphite draft driver, dear, take it, go away, get out of here. No, that's not what Jesus means. (laughs) Of course not. No, it's just the opposite. When Jesus says, which of you, he's asserting that no friend would ever do that. No friend in that culture would get up out of bed just to get rid of you. He's saying, if if your friend would do that, and your friend is a frail human fallen being, How much more would your heavenly father do to his children? Listen, listen. You you can never bother God. And you know why? Because you're not a bother. That's why you're not. That's why Jesus says in verses 11 and 12, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. In those days, those creatures could be mistaken. Jesus is illustrating. The father would never, ever in that day try to deceive the child. No. A few years ago, I kept track of every request that one of my sons made over, over a period of four days. I wrote down every question he asked his dad. Dad, can we go to Toys R Us? you remember Toys R Us? Dad, can, can we stay and watch me play video games? Dad, can we get some ice cream? Can can I have some can I have some chocolate chip cookie dough blizzard ice cream? Dad, will you lie down with me? Will you be with me? Can I be with you? Will you read to me? Can I play with Game Boy? Remember Game Boy? Can I go to putt-putt? Can I have pizza? Can I have extra cheese on my pizza? Can, can, can I go to Monocles? Can I have some milk? Can I have dessert? Can I, have, can I have some more ice cream? Can I go to Steak and Shake? Can I have a second supper? A second supper. Can I have a cheeseburger, fries, and vanilla shake with whipped cream and a cherry? Can I have some dessert, Dad? Dad, can I have another chocolate chip cookie dough, Blizzard? I said yes to every one of those requests. Yeah, I'm not making this up. And why? Well, Sarah was out of town. Um, Really, though, it's because I'm evil. (laughs) I'm evil. Even my most generous acts to my sons are tainted by the truth that I'm a sinner. If you then... Verse 13, Who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus says that His Holy Spirit is the highest, most valuable, supreme gift that our Heavenly Father can give. The Holy Spirit ensures that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing your salvation salvation. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you and strengthens you to become more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like qualities in your life, a-, a bumper crop harvest of Jesus features that cannot be humanly mustered up. The Holy Spirit gives you an ability to serve the church body. The Holy Spirit helps you endure Exhausting, fatiguing seasons of life. The Holy Spirit, when you don't know what to pray, when you're all prayed out, when you're hurting so much that you just you just can't, you just don't know what else to say. You're without words. The Holy Spirit takes those, those mumbling, groaning prayers And he intercedes and he acts as the go-between you and the Father. If you're a Christian, hear me, you already possess the best, highest gift God can ever give. He's already given you his best, his Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, why wouldn't you ask? (laughs) Ask. And if it's good, God's good for it. Jesus wants us to know that God, our Heavenly Father, is committed to giving his children that which is good. Now, of course, this leads to the tough part of this message. Who gets to decide what's good? I mean, how could asking for healing not be good? How could the salvation of my marriage or family or country not be good? How could asking God to save my child's life not be good? How could asking God to keep my job not be good? Why is it in Acts chapter 12, the apostle James is executed for Christ while the apostle Peter is released? Why is that? Why is it that some of those in Hebrews chapter 11 were victorious on earth and yet others were literally sawed in half as martyrs? It just doesn't seem to make sense. Why is that? In Philip Yancey's book titled Prayer, he told about a time he was in his church and in the church service, he, uh, there was uh, time reserved for just open prayer for the congregation to pray aloud. And, and most of the time, it was just a lot of nice, polite, churchy prayer talk. But then one Sunday, a particular woman began with these words. God, I hated you after the rape. How could you let this happen to me? You could have heard a pen drop. And I hated the people in this church who tried to comfort me. I didn't want comfort, I wanted revenge. I wanted to hurt back. Yet I thank you, God. That you did not give up on me. And neither did your church here. You you kept after me. And I come back to you now. And I ask that you would heal the scars in my soul. Verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives. and The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I read of a patient in a hospital who once spent the entire night Ranting and raving and swearing against God. He was in the last stages of cancer that would eventually take his life. Why have you done this to me? What have I done to deserve this? Who do you think you are? And after his all-night Gethsemane, the next morning he felt so guilty that... um, I mean, he called the hospital chaplain and, I mean, he just had to confess because he was certain that he would be disqualified from heaven because of the way he behaved, swearing at God and and that God would never forgive someone who cursed. And the chaplain Lovingly and mercifully listened and wisely heard this patient's heart. And, and, then, and then he asked the patient something that just seemed totally out of, out of the blue. He asked the patient, he said, he said, my friend, what is the opposite of love? And the patient said, well, <sighs> hate, hate. No, the chaplain replied, No. No, you're wrong. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Indifference. Had had you been indifferent to God, you never would have bothered to stay up all night ranting and raving and swearing about what's really in your heart. There, There is a word in our faith that describes what you did all night. And do you know what that word is? The chaplain asked the patient, it's the word prayer. Prayer, that's what you did all night. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, don't stop, don't give up. (laughs) I was privileged to baptize a couple one year and the day of their baptisms, their closest friends who witnessed this beautiful spiritual experience said to me, Randy, we have been praying for this moment for years, for years, and God has answered us tonight. So you keep praying. You pray like you're that door-to-door salesperson who wedges his foot in the door. You pray like Jacob said to the Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. And if it's good, God our Father, who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, ever-present, the God who is most qualified to define What is good? If it's good, he's good for it. He's good for it. He'll give it. Christianity is the only faith in the world that tells about the God who lost his own son to injustice. It tells how God's own son pleaded, Father, if possible, if you are willing Take this cup of suffering away from me. Don't let me die. Not like this. And then Jesus prayed, I trust you. Not my will, but thine be done. I trust that you will do good even when I can't see it. Hmm. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. And God did more than hear his son. He saved his son because on that third day he raised his son. Hebrews 5, 8-9. through 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. And by that, it means by his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and being seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, he has become the source of eternal salvation for all who believe him. So believe in him. And then ask of him. And if it's good, he's good for it. Amen? Amen.